Welcome to another episode of This Is My Generation, a podcast full of information for parents in the early years of homeschooling who are seeking clarity and encouragement to get through the uncertainty of homeschooling and build a thriving education for their family. I'm Dr. Melanie Bisson, the founder and owner of Generation, a company transforming education for the six plus million parents now paving their own educational path for their kids, the next generation. We do this through our group coaching program, Harvest, where parents sow seeds of clarity in their vision and goals, reap the fruits that come from being aligned in your approach and programs, stay rooted in empowerment and thrive together in community. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore this is my generation. friends welcome to another episode <laughs> um i would i was gonna say happy tuesday and then i realized like most of you don't listen to it on tuesday morning when it comes out you probably get the notification but it could be wednesday it could be a year from now on a friday who knows but as promised um i did say that this week i wanted to do a deeper dive into this whole learning preferences versus learning style quote-unquote argument um I say argument because it's been an ongoing debate in academia and educational research for a little while because the terms are used interchangeably, but they do have distinct implications. And I think if we understand the background concepts around how our students learn, then it helps us be better observers of our children. And I ultimately believe understanding their learning preferences is obviously crucial for tailoring our homeschool approach to their needs, because even if we're doing, you know, whether or not we're doing like unschooling or an eclectic approach that's like hyper-focused on the individual needs or a classical approach, like we still want to address our child's needs and, and help them through how they like to learn. So I think it's an important topic. Um, but it's also something that I was super interested in when I was doing my doctoral work. Um, because I had always just, talked about or thought that like, oh, okay, you have like a learning style, you're visual or kinesthetic or whatever. And like, that's just how you learn. But as I started to understand the nuances more, I was like, oh, like we do this a disservice by really talking about it in such a fixed way. And so for this episode, I just want to kind of do a little bit of uh, academic background for you and then walk through like the steps to observe your, your own child and, and get to the heart of their preferences and what we can do with that in homeschooling because we are so blessed to have more control than a traditional school. So from a traditional perspective, right, learning styles refers to the idea that individuals have specific, relatively fixed and consistent ways in which they learn best, right? So you've heard like common learning style models include like visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and like read and write. And the theory suggests that students can be categorized into one of those styles and that teaching methods should therefore align with that student's predominant style for best or like optimal learning, right? But that concept of learning styles has faced a lot of criticism in academia recently. And my own exploration of this debate, like during my doctoral studies, is really what led me to only refer to it as learning preferences rather than learning styles, especially when speaking in the context of school choice and homeschooling, because research has shown that the idea of fixed learning styles doesn't really have strong empirical support. Otherwise, like students may perform better when they're exposed to a variety of teaching methods and their preferences can vary depending on the subject matter and context. And this matters to us because as homeschool parents, like we have more control over the subject matter and context than, than a student in a traditional school setting. 
Um, so that's why I like to, to kind of focus on this first, because the flip side, like the modern perspective, on the other hand, acknowledges that learners may have preferences for certain learning methods or strategies, but that they're also capable of adapting to different styles depending on the situation. So learning preferences are considered more fluid and, and content dependent, context dependent rather, um, or, or content or subject matter. I mean, it's truly both. Like it could be circumstantial and situational, and it could be dependent on the subject that you're doing. Um, and I'll get into that with Josiah in a little bit, but like educational researchers and practitioners and stuff are now often focused on understanding a student's learning preferences rather than fixed styles, which is good. Um, you can't do it everywhere in every district, but like this approach to learning preferences really recognizes that it's, it's just complex, right? The complexity of learning and advocating for differentiated instruction is tough, especially when you're, you know, in a, a district like, you know, where my best friend teaches in Hillsborough County, like the seventh largest district, like how, how do you possibly manage this? But like teachers are encouraged to provide a variety of, of different learning opportunities and, and allow for students to use their preferred methods when it's suitable, when it makes sense and, you know, try to develop skills in each of those areas. So, you know, that's why you see the word styles or the phrase styles mentioned so much, because in that traditional K through 12 school setting, it can be challenging, obviously, to cater to each individual learning style just due to large class sizes, limited resources, etc. Um, and that's why you tend to employ a more one size fits all approach. Um, and it's very different today, I would say, than even like 20 years ago when the majority of, well, I get. 30 years ago when we were in, you know, elementary and middle school. Um, but many ed educators do recognize the value, I think, of understanding and respecting learning preferences within that diverse classroom. And that's where the concept of universal design for learning comes in. They call it UDL, but it's a more inclusive and effective approach that's being used in modern education. And all it really means is that they're aiming to create that flexible learning environment that can be customized to meet the needs, the needs of every student, you know, regardless of their, their learning preferences. Um, and I think it's relevant to us in homeschooling because it acknowledges that a diverse environment requires different approaches and that we have to cater that to the individual. Um, and the fun fact is that like UDL originated from the field of architecture and it was actually adapted for education, which is cool because for me, like, as someone with 16 years in building materials and construction, like I just, I like mentioning that. Um, but anyways, like we're starting to see traditional school districts adopt this UDL framework and other more inclusive approaches to just the methods and preferences for how children learn. And so like the shift from sort of pigeonholing students into one style to providing more diverse learning opportunities and, and thus you know, supporting tailored approaches to individual preferences and needs is obviously welcomed where it's feasible and where it makes sense. There's just so much complexity to human learning, right? So being considerate, considerate of these little variances, I think, will be what helps address the needs of our students and not only, you know, like traditional classrooms, but also in our home, right? I mean, 
we're constantly working to dismantle that one size fits all approach to education. That's really been embedded in so many of us, like even if it's well-intentioned, right? So understanding why we have sort of boxed, you know, learning style and, you know, you're, you're either this or you're that understanding the why and how we're moving away from that and what we can do to be more individual and understand our child's learning preference and that the way and the where and the how of what they learn is just as important as what they're learning. Um, it's just important to explore, right? So what does this mean for us as homeschooling parents? So we know homeschooling is not just about choosing the right curriculum or teaching method, right? It's, sorry, my, I'm like hyper aware of my microphone battery now because I'm continuing to do this on the go. And I lost in the sunshine, the little like green light. And I was like, oh gosh, wait a second. Like, did I just lose my battery again? But I'm not, I was prepared this time. I'm not crazy. Um, so yeah, we know it's not about, homeschooling is not just about, you know, picking our, our curriculum or our, you know, teaching method or approach, right? It's tailoring that to, to our kids' needs and the best of our abilities within our goals and so on. Um, but the, the first step in doing that, like the key, in my opinion, is observation, right? Being attentive to your child is really where it all begins. And I know life can get, you know, pretty chaotic, especially if you're juggling homeschooling and working in or out of the home or managing multiple siblings and just life, right? But try to find those moments to truly pay attention to your child's reactions and engagement levels during different activities. You want to look for those moments when their eyes are lighting up and they're just eager to dive into learning. You know, I think back, I had a six week summer reading program um, for Josiah that was intended to bridge the gap between the work he had done in VPK, that was actually kindergarten work, and gain a true understanding for myself of where he was at so that I would know what level curriculum to purchase going into this year. And I had no idea he would struggle so much with rote learning when it came to reading as a subject. Like he did fine for this in math and he actually preferred like the no fuss, no activities. Like I just want to regurgitate the math facts approach. Um, and so when I switched to all about reading in the fall, like he just started blossoming and he stopped fighting me. And really it was just fighting himself because instead of reading like these long strings of words on a page for fluency practice, I started cutting them up and I was feeding them to this colorful monster on this printed page. And it was actually a recommendation from the curriculum provider in terms of like breaking up these fluency pages. But the great thing is it was still no fuss for me in terms of prep and whatnot. So that remained aligned with like my approach to homeschooling and goals, especially for the year. But it was this, that subtle observation is my point that allowed me to shift in how I approached reading with him due to this learning preference. And that learning preference was different for math than it was for reading. And so observation is that first step in understanding your child's learning preferences. And then next is I would say asking open-ended questions, right? You want to encourage them to express their thoughts and feelings about those various subjects and activities. You know, I could have continued to fight him on, you know, sitting and reading the page, but asking him what was going on and why he was feeling the way he was really helped give me a little bit of insight. And you'd be amazed by their answers, right? Like just keeping it simple questions like, you know, what 
what do you enjoy learning about or, or how, how do you like to learn when we're sitting here? How do you like to do this subject? Um, it can just make up great conversations and I want to preface it because we also want to make sure that it's done in a calm environment, right? <laughs> like not after a long 90 minute session when their brain is just sort of, um, on fire a little bit. It's sort of like similar to what you might hear about like that after school crash and how traditional school kids come home and they don't want to answer any questions about their day because it's just sheer overwhelm. Like they've been asked questions all day and they just, they like, even as simple as it is, like their brains just don't want to or can't. And so questions can do like so much, like they can do so much and they can be part of the observation and like getting to know our kids as learners. Um, but I, I just also want you to be aware of like anticipating their mood because and their mindset, because rephrasing the question as a statement can also really help. Like, um, you know, you seemed to really like that exercise with the monster and just leave it there. That's one way to get to the heart of the question without overwhelming the child's brain. Right. It's also heavily age dependent, uh, age dependent. Um, and like what other simulations are going on in the home. So I just provide that as like an additional tip, but, you know, observe, ask open, open-ended questions. You know, I also want to note that like learning styles can still play a significant role in understanding your child's preferences because some kids are visual learners, right? Like some, some are auditory overall, right? So pay attention to what your child enjoys. Like, do they love reading? Do they like listening to instructions? Do they like engaging in hands-on experiences, like it will make a world of difference. Um, but again, overall, like we're not starting there or getting into that fixed mindset. Cause I think of like, I, my friend's younger daughter is a very visual learner, like through and through. Um, but it, it varies on the stage. So we like, she knows that colorful charts and these big diagrams, she's got these posters everywhere, like really enhance her understanding of the material and her mom discovered what a difference it made with her reading and math. Um, but that, that may not be the same in each subject. Um, but it was like a very real style for demonstrating understanding. And so like introducing a subject, working through review and understanding, and then building to mastery may each have a different learning preference or style. Like it's really just embracing those unique elements. And it, and it gets easier the more time we spend with our learners, right? And we have this information in the back of our minds. Like that's, that's really just the goal is that a broad knowledge base of these learning styles and the preferences and the nuances and then the steps that we can take to better understand them is what we're after, right? Like not, not overcomplicating it. I, I feel like you hear me say that a lot. So I just want to emphasize that like, as I kind of walk through these steps to understanding our, our children's learning preferences, that it's not, it's not meant to be a burden. It's not overly prescriptive. It's just things to jot down that stand out to you that go like, oh yeah, like maybe that's the trigger for my student when I'm having this struggle or, you know, just something to keep in mind as you start a brand new subject or you introduce something to start introducing like variety. Like, you know, the saying, like, it's, what is it? Variety is the spice of life. Like that holds true in homeschooling as well. Um, like if you haven't yet start offering a range of different learning activities to see how your child responds. Like that's a great way to understand 
their learning preferences. You can incorporate reading or hands-on projects, discussions, creative tasks, like whatever it is you want, but then you can watch for which activities truly engage your child and which ones just might not spark their interest. And again, don't make this more complicated than your own homeschooling goals and approach because the idea is not to overwhelm you with all the steps and recommendations that you, you know, quote unquote, should be doing, but rather just opportunities for you to tweak and adjust what you're doing now to get the results you desire. You know, if you're already starting to observe something that's making you, you know, wonder if you're doing the right thing or the right approach. And, you know, obviously last week we talked about the roadmap and stuff that the stress relief roadmap that we're doing in Harvest and, you know, some of the questions and the paths that you can take there. But, you know, even when I just think about this year, for me, like, it's just about following the steps in our co-op, like classical conversations. We're a part of CC. We've got this memory work and the structure and that's it. Like, and I'm only doing 90 minutes a day of math and reading outside of our one day a week co-op. Like if anything, I'm taking away or skipping certain lessons because they're incorporating things outside of my capacity right now. Like I eat anything with too much prep or planning of extra materials. Like I'll scale back on the quote unquote, like fluffy math stuff. Like the other day I was cutting a celery snack to teach half and quarter measurements because like, I know he gets it by just cutting strips of paper. But on the other hand, like I will take the extra five minutes to cut words up to feed a monster because of how I've already observed his preferences in certain subjects, right? So you see where I'm going. Like it doesn't have to be major tweaks or a ton of extra work. It just has to appeal for them and be a little different each time in terms of variety to find what sticks. Um. You know, I also think it's crucial to observe where your child prefers to learn. You know, do they thrive in a quiet corner or like a cozy little reading nook or some type of really more active setting? Are they more focused when they're alone or surrounded by others? Like those types of insights and inquiries can help you create that optimal learning environment because I do believe that maintaining consistency once you've established that right setting is helpful or in the very least like communicating ahead of time because like here now that the weather is nicer and it's not stifling hot like I've been offering our read aloud time outside on the front porch and he's not interested for some reason and that's fine but you know I, I work to balance both the variety and approaches and setting with that expected consistency um because I just, I, I do think it's important. Um, but listen to their body language too, right? I mean, it's a telltale sign of how engaged they are. Um, how are they moving around? How do they want to move around? What are they saying to you? What are they not saying? You know, are they using their hands or talking through concepts? Like there's a lot of little physical cues um, that can guide your teaching methods. What else? Um I'm just kind of going through like my list of of steps. Learning pace is another vital aspect. So if you're seeking to understand your child's learning preferences, you want to know what their pace is, right? At the the speed. So some children might like to dive deep into a topic. You know, they like to explore every nook and cranny of a subject matter and ask a ton of questions, while others just prefer that quicker pace moving through the the various elements of the subject. So keep an eye on how quickly 
your child grasps new concepts. You know, the number of questions they ask in a session can provide good insight. You know, many curriculums do provide guidance on how fast or slow you can move through different lessons. It's, you know, as part of like their comprehensive approach, I guess. But like, remember, you're ultimately in control. You're the one observing your child's learning. So you don't have to stick to what they say. Just use it as a guide. You know, because you can also identify what type of resources your child responds to best. Do they enjoy online videos, books, interactive apps, or just like practical hands-on experiences? Knowing that can make your teaching not only more effective and enjoyable for each subject, um, but you can just incorporate these different resources and elements as part of that variety, just to understand what they gravitate towards more within each subject area. Um, and then I think this one is a little harder with homeschooling, but the idea of social interaction is also important to consider. Um, you know, observe how your child interacts with others. Do they thrive in group discussions? Do they enjoy one-on-one -on -one interactions? Do they shine when working independently? How do these differ by subject matter? Or when gaining confidence and mastering material, like these dynamics can play a big role in their learning experience. And we can find ways even in homeschooling to incorporate this, um, you know, if you find it helpful. Because like right now I'm finding that a lot of Josiah's confidence last year when he was in, when he was in uh, private school, his confidence in math facts came, I, I believe, now that I've been observing him from like reciting them together in class and just gaining that strength from doing it together as a group because he questions himself a lot more now when working independently because he doesn't, I don't think because he has that group around him to sort of like compete or observe with. Does that make sense? Like, so the things that I've thought about doing is like incorporating more of our co-op in this area. Like I've thought about maybe enrolling him in like one of those out school classes, like just once a week to have to, sort of act as a refresher with other students. Or like I can even utilize like simple technological elements to quote unquote, like distract him, so to speak. You know, like he doesn't use a tablet or any computer device for learning. So, you know, I'm thinking about um, ABC Mouse or other online classes to do the math facts with something else that will get him out of like, just sitting there alone and getting in his own mind. Um, it just, it sort of takes his mind off of his perceived inability, but that's because I've already now had six weeks of observing him with doing math facts and seeing where all of a sudden he'll go from like rapidly working through a worksheet to sitting there and like just completely beating himself up and questioning and I think the big difference is working independently versus having all that social interaction around him. Um, but anyways, so I think outside of, of that, being able to keep an eye out for learning challenges too, because every kid faces some type of hurdle, right? Whether it's understanding certain concepts or staying focused for extended periods of time or just working on specific skills. And when you can recognize these challenges early, I think it just allows you to obviously address them effectively. And that's overall like a topic for another episode, but things still to think about when observing learning preferences. So we've kind of quickly covered a lot. I didn't want this episode to be overbearing. Um, I wanted to kind of give you some insight into the difference between 
learning style, learning preferences, and then kind of walk through those 10 steps. So it's not like you don't see a bulleted list of the 10 steps, but they're all just built in through the conversation, right? So observation, asking key questions, variety, um, the social learning, the challenges, the the setting, the physical setting, right? And so on. Um, so like wrapping up as with any other episode where I've sort of warned about this, like with all this valuable information to gather, like it just, it's helpful to document your observations in some way, right? Like you can keep a journal, you can keep notes where you record your findings over time. Like even if it's just little things you're noticing on your phone, but like, let it be your own little decision-making roadmap. And ultimately it'll help you if you decide to like utilize any of our harvest program resources and like the stress relief roadmap. But I just want you to think about identifying patterns, tracking progress, and just being able to make more informed decisions about your child's learning preference because every child is unique, right? We know this, but also know that their learning preferences can evolve over time. So the more practice you get with this observation and with taking these steps to understand more about how they learn will just be beneficial because circumstances change preferences can shift as subjects get more difficult or lengthier, right? And you just want these observations to serve as a as a valuable tool just to be able to adapt your homeschooling approach, create a learning environment that best suits, you know, your child's needs but also aligns with your goals and your approach to homeschooling. So, I hope this was some helpful insight into the differences between 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 I don't it's it's Monday, guys. Um, between learning styles and learning preferences. Um, this is probably one where I know I talked really fast. So if you want to put it on like 0.75 speed <laughs> to take notes, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, just things that we can take as parents to better understand how our children prefer to learn, engage knowledge, um, and gain knowledge. My goodness. Um, walk through the notes check out the steps. Hopefully it was a little bit more insight into the puzzle. And until next time. If this is resonating with you and you want to be free of the uncertainty and the overwhelm, then hop on over to thisismygeneration.com and explore the options for the Harvest program and download one of our free eBooks. I'm so excited to help parents get out of their head and get in sync with their homeschool vision and plans. Our four-step process of sowing seeds of clarity, reaping the fruits of alignment, staying rooted in empowerment, and thriving in community include all the concrete ways to overcome the common mindset challenges homeschool parents face and move you into a growth mindset that will trade the uncertainty and overwhelm for calm confidence. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast and follow us on Instagram at underscore thisismygeneration. 